You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Well, let's go ahead and uh, jump into this in the few moments that we have together this morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 100. We're going to talk through this whole chapter, all right? But don't worry, it's a small chapter, five verses. But we're going to talk this morning about the power of praise, thanksgiving, and worship, and how God designed it and the importance of this. And this is something that I felt like the Lord just dropped in my heart as I was planning. I was heading a direction. I was going to continue to just roll into the book of Colossians, the prayer. But I felt like the Lord said, uh, nope, I want you over here. And so as I began to look at this, I was just reminded of some things that are very, very important. The importance of this and the power that is attached into praise, into thanksgiving, into worship. And some things that God wants to remind us of. A few weeks ago, I talked about this. And so let's just say this is a continuing of uh, what I started talking about. And so in Psalm 100, here's a, here's a little bit of background on this. Is that the psalmist wrote this psalm as a psalm of thanksgiving. An offering of thanksgiving. And that's significant for this reason. And I'm going to read this to you. And as I read this to you, it will begin to make sense. It says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Can you just feel the thanksgiving and the praise coming off of that psalm? I hope you can because it's one, it's a great one to just get into you, to, to learn, to know, to begin to sing to the Lord. And what the psalmist would have done here is, is he would have been uh, just conveying the overflow of his heart, but According to tradition, what would happen is that this psalm would be sung during what's called the Thanksgiving offering. Now, I want to just uh, teach you for just a moment, and I'm going to show you the significance of this, is that in Leviticus, there were several offerings that were commanded. And there was one called a Thanksgiving offering, except the Thanksgiving offering wasn't something that God said you must do. It was what's called a voluntary offering. A voluntary offering. And in Leviticus, there's just a short scripture there about how it goes down. God said, do this, do this, make this, present it to me as a thanksgiving offering. But it's believed this to be true about the thanksgiving offering was that there were four reasons why the thanksgiving offering was offered voluntarily. The first was if somebody went out to sea. So guys, before you go fishing, sing Psalm 100, all right? Give it to the Lord. Thank you for this bountiful harvest, right? If somebody was going out to sea, if somebody was going into the wilderness, so the next time you go to West Texas, (laughs) that's a joke. My son's going to Texas Tech. We'll be out there in a little bit. And it feels like the wilderness. But listen to this. The third reason is if somebody was recently healed, they would offer up a thanksgiving offering. Now listen to the fourth reason. If somebody was liberated out of captivity, they would go 
before the Lord and offer up a thanksgiving offering. Now listen, as I begin to, to see this and, and understand this, immediately my, my mind went to the story in Luke 17 where, where Jesus heals the, cleanses the ten lepers. And it, we, we know this story. Most of us know this story. I'll paraphrase it very quickly. Is that there's ten lepers. They see Jesus and they cry out for mercy. And, and Jesus heals all ten of them. And then he goes and he tells them, go present yourself before the priest. And there's a few times in the Gospels when Jesus heals that he does this, where he tells them to go and make an offering, go present themselves to the priest. And what Jesus was telling them was this, go and make a thanksgiving offering before the Lord. Why? Because they were in bondage to their sickness. They were sick, but now they are whole. They are healed. But that story goes like this, that one leper comes back to Jesus and he kneels down before Jesus and he says, thank you to him. And Jesus' response to that one leper is, where are the other nine? Did they not know that I was God? See, what happened was this, and this is the power of thanksgiving, and this is why I want to tie the context and the understanding of this into our hearts is because when we come and we offer a sacrifice of praise and a sacrifice of worship and a sacrifice of thanksgiving, what we're saying and reminding our, ourselves is this, is that God, only you have rescued us. See, Jesus' words to that one leper were, were very clear. He looks at him and says this, your faith has made you whole. See, Jesus took him from the third position to the fourth position. He took the man who was just sick and he healed him, but then he took the captive and he made him free. He said, your faith has made you whole. And I want to just offer something up to you before we, we dive into this short psalm is this. The power of praise, thanksgiving, and worship gives us the ability to be free. As we choose to make the sacrifice. That's amazing. The question I have for you this morning as we just think about this. Has Jesus healed you? Has he healed you? Your body, your soul, or your mind? Do we lose sight of that sometimes when it comes to our praise? Do we keep a list of other things that are going wrong in our flesh, in our soul, in our mind? Or do we thank him for what he's brought us through, knowing that as we do, he's making us whole? Has Jesus liberated you? Has he freed you from the, the weight and the shackle of sin, wrong thinking? Has he done that? Do we lose sight of that in our praise? Do we come with this heaviness that we carry around and we forget that we're coming into the presence of the one who makes us completely whole and completely free? So I want to look at a couple of things with this Psalm, Psalm 100, I believe that it's broken down into three parts, and they address three things that we need to understand about the power of praise, thanksgiving, and worship. And the first is this, the attitude of our heart and worship. Verses 1 and 2, it says this, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful Songs. The first thing that we understand and how praise affects the attitude of our heart and how our heart needs to be in the right place for praise is this. What the psalmist says is this, shout for joy to the Lord. 
And this word shout is this, is a release of the heaviness and the burdens of our life. Shout to, lo- shout to the Lord all the earth. As we shout to the Lord, as we begin to condition our heart in this place to release our burdens to the Lord, He promises to take these things off of us. But also, this word has another very powerful meaning, and it's this, is that as we shout, it does something to the adversary of our soul. See, the idea of shout has a, 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 a dual meaning. We come with the expectancy to release our burdens. Now, now come on. We, we should all be familiar with this, right? This idea of shouting to get some stress relief. Yeah. Uh, anybody, right? Any, anybody have to put um, together Christmas presents for your kids, big things, trampolines, in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve when it's dark? And you're trying to hide it from your kids? Nobody but me? Are you joking? I'm shouting to the Lord. I'm shouting to somebody. Right? I ain't lying. I mean, you've been in, you might have been in your car and you're shouting to the Lord. Why? We, we have this understanding that, that there is something that of unburdening of our soul when we shout. Now, come on. Right? Your team wins, you shout. Come on. This is amazing, right? And God understands this. And there's something that God has put in us. And what you're going to see in Psalm 100 is this powerful truth. Is that worship, the power of praise, worship and thanksgiving is a participatory uh, a sport, right? It's something that we've got to be active in. There are things that we've got to do. And so we see this as we shout to the Lord, we begin to unburden our soul and we come before the one who unshackles our soul, but also we come to the one who moves in justice and in power by removing our enemies. Because this idea of shout also has this meaning of saying this, that as we shout, it serves as a war cry. It serves as a war cry. But this is what I want to present to you. That even though this is something that we can do in worship vocally with our, with our mouth, it is something that we must do in our heart. It's something that we must do in our heart. See, because the attitude of our heart that says, shout for joy to the Lord is this, saying, God, I'm coming in with expectancy. I'm coming in prepared to meet with the person who takes my burdens off of me, who fights my battles for me. And so when we condition our hearts for this, we're setting ourselves up to begin to understand the authority of, uh, and power of praise, thanksgiving, and worship. But the next thing that we see here is this. Concerning the attitude of our heart in worship is that we must make a sacrifice of worship. We must make a sacrifice of worship. And this is what we see this. It says, worship the Lord with gladness. Worship the Lord with gladness. Is that we have to offer up a sacrifice. And there's several areas of our heart that we must sacrifice when we come into this place of worship. We have to submit the person, our person, to the Lord. We have to sacrifice our person to the Lord, ourselves to the Lord. And this is something that has to be done voluntarily. That we have to offer ourselves and say, God, I am removing myself out of the equation. I'm removing the results and the, and the condition of my week up until this point. 
I'm laying this down. I'm making a decision to worship you. I'm not carrying in other baggage when I come into this place of worship, whether it's on Sunday morning or in your personal time, but you are making a decision to make a sacrifice. You're making a decision to make a sacrifice. And in order for you to make a sacrifice of yourself, it has to be voluntary and it needs to be complete. It needs to be complete. There needs to be an inventory that we take as we prepare to come into this place. Pastor Monty used to say it like this, shine your shoes. But shine your spiritual, spiritual shoes as well. Begin to make a checklist in your heart. God, is there anything that I'm withholding from you? Is there any area of my life that I need to lay down? Because when I come into the place of praise, in the place of worship, as I lift up your name and come before the one who removes my burdens and fights my battles, I understand that I have to come completely to you. I have to make a sacrifice. And so God, search my heart. Know the intent of my heart. Begin to check off these things. And I want to tell you something. If there is something in your heart that you're withholding from the Lord, maybe unforgiveness or, or, or a, a, a place of pain, then it's very simple. Just give that to the Lord. Say, I confess that, Jesus, to you, you are my righteousness. You forgive me of this, and you restore unto me and cleanse me. Give that to the Lord, because the sacrifice has to be complete, and then it has to be committed. It has to be committed, meaning that we have to commit to it. And again, can I just say this on a very practical level when it comes to the idea of praise and worship? We don't come in here and we're not interested in praise and worship if the song is right. We're not interested in praise and worship if the, the atmosphere is right, the lights are right, the sound is right. No, we come in here because we understand that the worship that we're lifting up from our, from our spirit, from out of our mouth, is blessing the Lord. And so we're committed to that. We're committed to that. We're in it from start to finish. I look at my kids from time to time, and I'm like, hey, stand up. And they go, oh. I remember being in church, and, and, I, and I always, I grew up in church. I, I felt like my mom had me on a pew, you know. I mean, that's, that's all I ever knew. And I remember being a little guy in church and always just wanting to sit down and just going, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm too tired. And my mom would nudge me up. She'd go, come on, stand up. And I didn't understand it. I thought it, was a, I thought it was really just something that my mom wanted, a discipline that my mom wanted. But it wasn't until I matured and I understood that it's not something my mom wanted, but it's something that I give to the Lord. It's something that I give to the Lord. But there's another place that we must sacrifice, is that, and I know this is going to sound a little odd, but we're going to see this when we look at what the Lord does for us, is that we have to sacrifice our possessions. I'm not saying give away all your stuff, but what I'm talking about is the gift, the resource of our gift within us. And I'm also talking about, just really quickly, I want to I show you something, teach you something. This also refers to our tithe and our offering, our gift. 
See, here's what we have to correlate here, and we have to understand that Psalm 100 was written as a song for an offering of thanksgiving. And what God required for the offering, if somebody chose to do this, is that they took something of themselves, of their goods, and they prepared it in such a manner, and they gave it to the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. Why is giving a sacrifice and why is it important concerning the way that we praise and we worship and the power of praise and worship? Here's why. It's because when we choose to give freely to the Lord of the gifts of our life and the, and the, the benefit, the blessing of the fruit of our hands, what we are doing is we're doing something completely unique to us being God's creation is that we are marrying the image of God. Why? Because God gave to us. God doesn't ask you to give because he needs it. He doesn't ask you to give because it's a religious duty. He does it because he loves to see the reflection of himself in his children. I want to tell you something. I've got five kids. You guys, most of you all know that, right? Uh, Three are going off to college. We're going to have two left. I'll get my wife some tissues, she said. And, uh, and, oh, yeah, guys, I'm sad, too. Kids, I'm sad, too. Um, <laughs> I'm planning what we're doing in your rooms, you know. <laughs> no. Sorry. But you know what we love to see in our kids is we love to see the things that we spent teaching them as children come out as they become young adults. We love when they're kind. We love when they share. We love when they take time to help somebody. You know why? Because when they were little and they were just learning to walk and learning to talk, my wife would sit down with them and say, sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. A little help with Barney. Barney did the same thing. But, you know, nonetheless, we got it in them, right? You better be kind. You always want to find a friend. You always want to help somebody. And it felt to them at that time that it was something that mom and dad required. But really what it was was this, is that we were developing, we we had a heart to see them grow into people who were honorable, people with dignity, people with love, that people that uh, other people liked, people that were helpful, people that were obedient could hear God's voice. That was our desire. And then our greatest joy is to hear other people come to us and say, I just want to tell you about your children. I want to tell you that they're kind. You know, I don't care if somebody comes up and says, your kid is smart. I mean, my kids are smart. They're smarter than me. But I don't care if somebody comes up and tells me my kid's smart. I love it when they tell me that my kid is compassionate. I love it when they say, your kids saw something that nobody else saw, and they went and they met a need. I love that. Why? Because it's a reflection of what we taught them to be when they were children. And when we make the sacrifice of giving, what we are showing God is that you are shining in me and through me. That's what it means. Okay. So we have to make a sacrifice. But then it goes on and says this, come before him with joyful songs. And this is just so simple. It means this, that the attitude of our heart needs to be joyful. We need to be joyful. No matter what your week looked like, you need to be joyful. Don't come into the house of the Lord with a frown on. Turn that frown upside down. Listen to something funny. I don't know. Do something that makes you happy. 
Why? Because you have been called to come in to the house of the Lord with a joyful song. You have been called to come in and to enter in. The attitude of your heart needs to be joyful. We say, well, pastor, I, I, I need the, the Lord to lift off a heavy burden off me. He will, but be joyful in the process. Be joyful in the process. Be joyful in the process. Choose to be joyful. But you know what? Here's the key is that if you are practicing being unhappy all throughout the week, if your Monday's miserable and your Tuesday's just really sad and Wednesday's bad and Thursday no good, Friday, uh-uh, Saturday is just the icing on the cake of misery, then Sunday's not going to be any different. You got to be happy through the week. That means this is that you got to encourage yourself in the Lord and make the offering of thanksgiving and praise and worship every day. You got to do it every day because it's going to keep your attitude in check. It's amazing. It's amazing when we look at the scripture and we break it down. And you got to love the word, friends. You got to love the word of God and you got to look at it clearly is that we see this agreement where God says, he looks at us and says, I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll release the burdens and I'll fight the enemy for you. I'll bring joy to your life. But here's the only thing that I can't check, and it's your attitude. It's your attitude. So what do we say when our attitude is wrong? God, help me in my weakness. Help me in my weakness. Help me in my bad attitude. Forgive me. Cause me to see your benefits. Let me look into your face that I might see joy and begin to put in me a good attitude, an attitude of joy. The last thing I want to say about the attitude of our heart in worship is this, is that it's a team sport. I said it already. But we have to move into a place where we love, love, love the shared time of praise and worship corporately. We love it because there's something powerful that happens when we come together and we lift up our voices together. See, God actually commands it in the assembly. He calls us and says, listen, raise it up corporately together. And as we look a little deeper into this psalm, what we see is that there's a bit of context to a, the, the, the nature of sacrifice at the temple and the worship that would go around the temple. And this is what I want you to see is that it would be a collective of Israel coming together and their voices would be raised together. And I want to just present this to you in a lot of grace is that if we want to see more of the Holy Spirit moving in our church, in our lives, then when we come in here, we all have to actively participate in worship. We all have to come in with our attitude in the right place, and we all have to do it. Why? Because God will move. God will move. Now let's look at this, because this is the focus of our praise and worship. Verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. There's three things that God is telling us about Himself here, really quick. He says this, know that the Lord is God. That is the word Jehovah Elohim. Lord is Jehovah. It is the transliterated word for the name of God that was too holy to be spoken. And so they removed in the Hebrew the vowels and, they, and they, it, was, it was created in our language. And so, and so we see that, but this is what this means, Lord, Lord supreme. 
But then it goes and it makes a double acknowledgement to the who God is. It says, worship the Lord your God. Worship Jehovah Elohim. And Elohim is the creator, the God that most high. So this is what I want to tell you this morning, is the reason why we worship, the purpose of our worship is directed to God. God is creator. God is king. He is the true God. He deserves reverence. He deserves the holiness of our heart being offered to him. He deserves it. He is God. This is the most mature that our worship can ever be when we are not in a place where we just worship God because of what he's done. We don't just worship God because of what he's given us. We worship God because of who he is, and he is God. Just, just again, in, in, a, in a tremendous amount of grace and a tremendous amount of gentleness, and not speaking to Freedom Christian Fellowship, but just talking to the church as a whole, just allow me to do this really quick, please. Is that we, we have to move away from performance-driven worship. Now hear me. We have to move away from this where we sit in seats and we watch. Not Freedom Christian Fellowship, but our idea of worship. Because if worship is an experience that is meant to be shared with everybody... It is definitely in the context of the reverence of God. And God must be revered. He must be called holy. He must be worshipped in His holiness. When we think about this, let's consider what Revelations tells us about the elders gathered around the throne of Jesus. Where they constantly stand up and they, they, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And they fall on their face and then they get back up and they say, holy, holy, holy. Why? Because the holiness of God is not something that ever goes out of style or ever gets old. Understanding who he is and operating in that reverence of who he is and coming in into that place that we are going to meet before the creator of heaven and earth. We begin to see him in his power. But see, God doesn't just leave us in this place. This is who He is and why He's good. And this is why we need to understand what the psalm is saying. And I want to show you this. Because the psalmist goes on and says, listen, the first thing is this. Know that He is Lord, God. But also understand that it is He who has made us. We are His. And this speaks about the Creator God, Elohim, who has created us, but not only us, He has created all the majesty that we can ever perceive in the entirety of the universe. And this puts us in a place of awe. This puts us in a place of both, both feeling very uh, majestic and uh, seeing the, the majesty of heaven, but feeling very small too. See, the, the author here is bringing us into this understanding that even though we come and we revere the God who created all things and we stand in His majesty and in His holiness and we worship Him for that, we also understand that we are His. And that out of all the creation that He ever created, His most prized creation is you and I. And the psalmist brings us back to that understanding of saying, this is why we worship. Because we get to meet before the God of heaven and earth. 
But yet, when we come into his presence, he lifts us up and he says, there you are, my people. There you are, the ones I love. There you are, my most prized creation. And then the psalmist takes it one step further concerning God's heart and why we worship him. It's because he says this, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And this brings us to the most endearing part of God's heart is that he is the one who cares for us, that he is the one who leads us, who takes care of us. And as we worship, these are the things that we realize that we get to stand before God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, but yet he calls us his. And it brings us into that place of awe, but then we feel God call us uh, close. And he says this, he says that you are my sheep, I am your shepherd, you are my people. Whenever we see in the scripture God refer to Make this phrase, we are his people. Refer to us. He's speaking in terms of covenant. And this is important for us to understand. Because when we come into the place of praise and worship, what we hear God remind us of is his covenant, his promises. When you come into worship, you should hear God remind you of the beautiful promises that he has given you. To draw you back into that place of covenant and understanding. To feel him pull you close to himself. Guiding, caring, nurturing, and protecting the word that he's put in you. To say this, that he is faithful. Anytime God told Israel over and over again that you are my people, no matter how far they got away, it was a reminder to say this, I will always pull you close. If you turn to me, I will always pull you close. I will always heal you. I will always restore you. I will always lead you. Can you see the loving mercy in this scripture to understand the pleasure that we have to come before God Almighty to know that we are his and to know that he cares for us? This is the power of praise and the power of worship and thanksgiving. But then finally, in the last two scriptures, Justin, come on up, man. This is what we see. If, if there can be such a thing, is that we see a bit of a pattern here. I believe that the psalmist lays out a pattern because he uses some language here that, that should bring our thinking somewhere. He says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. See, this is what the picture that should be drawn in our mind is that we should, we should go to. Is that we should see the picture of the tabernacle or the temple. Because this is a reference to that. And here's why it's significant. It's because when God called his people into that place to make a sacrifice for their sin, here's what would happen. Is that as they came to the outer courts, they would begin to lift up a shout of thanksgiving. Why? Because they knew that the day of atonement, the day when their sins would be blotted out, was coming. I don't know about you. But if I was sick and dying, and somebody told me there was a cure, I would not be miserable. 
I would be shouting it out. I would be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I would be telling everybody I know, you won't believe it. I was destined for death, but in the gates I see life. Thank you. My whole body and my whole soul, the attitude of my flesh, would be one that just radiated thanksgiving. And so here the psalmist is drawing our eyes to this point and telling us to look to this place. Because the next step we see is this, is the outer courts. And they would be filled with praise because the outer courts were a place of sacrifice. Now in the Old Testament, the farthest the people could go to is the outer courts. There were the gates, the outer courts, the inner courts, and then the holy place and the most holy place. But as far, the farthest you and I could go to was the outer courts. And that's where we would take our sacrifice. And alongside with the, the priests, that we would make a sacrifice for our sin in the outer courts. And this is a place that they would know that there would be praise that would be lifted up because through the shedding of blood, there was the remission of sin according to what God said. And so the psalmist writes this and he says, listen, let this attitude and let this position be in your heart. That you come into his gates with thanksgiving. You enter into his courts with praise. You give thanks to him and you praise his name. Jesus fulfilled all of these things. See, we don't stop at the outer courts anymore, do we? No, as a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, that the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn from top to bottom as if God's hands reached down and said, no more separation between my creation, my beloved creation, and myself anymore. In these things, we see that Jesus has fulfilled them, but we still see a pattern, a way that we approach God. This Word thanksgiving carries with it a picture of confession. And when we come into the place of worship and praise, the first thing that we do is this, is say, God, inspect my heart. Anything that I hold in my heart in the way of sin, I confess before you. Because I'm meeting with a holy God. Because immediately from that place, that act of confession turns into thanksgiving. It turns into thanksgiving. See, this is the beautiful thing and, and why we can't get, get disconnected from the idea of confession and confessing our sins before God. We all fail. We all blow it. We all get angry. We all do things that we're not proud of. And when we come into the presence of God, he, he, he puts in front of us and he says, listen, first, come through my means of provision to cleanse yourself. And say, God, just get all that stuff off me. Just take all that stuff off me. Because what's immediately connected with confession is this, is the power of restoration. See, God doesn't make us confess to shame us. He doesn't even make us confess to see the contrast between who He is and who we are. That He's up here and we're down there. That He is God and we are worms. He doesn't do that. 
See, God asks us to be in a place of confession where we open up our hearts and say, God, if there's anything unpleasing to you, I just put that before you. And I plead your blood over that area of my life. And I ask you to draw me into repentance in that area. He does that so we understand that he desires for us to be close. And then the second word that we see is this, is the word praise, which is a public praise. And you can just imagine as the Israelites would come into the outer courts, that their voices would grow louder and louder and louder with praise. And for us in our corporate times together, that our praise has to be public. It has to be something where it is active. And it needs to be an overflow of our life, not just the words that we see on the screen. It has to be an overflow of the, the, the truth of what God is doing in us and the thankfulness of our heart. And when that comes out, when that comes out, it's amazing. It's amazing. But finally, we see this word to praise, to bless his name. And this means this, to bow low, to bow low. Now, I hope that you can see a little bit of imagery as, a, as you see these words. That in our act of worship, in the power of praise and worship, that we see this, there are times that we come into his presence where we need to say, God, I just need to confess this before you. Because I know that I'm coming into a place where I'm going to meet with the God of heaven and earth. And you're going to unshackle my burdens. That you're going to fight my battles for me. And as I do that, I'm going to lift up a public praise because I know who you are. And I want to testify of your faithfulness. I want to sing about it. I want to dance about it. I want to clap about it. It's who you are. But there is a place in our worship where in our hearts and maybe even in our bodies, we bow low. I'm not saying this is something that we do every Sunday, but what I'm saying is that the flow and the power of praise and worship goes this way. Is that there should be a place where we quiet ourselves and we come and we say, God, thank you. Is that we come and we stand in the awe of the love and the majesty of God and we say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then finally, the last, the last thing that the psalmist says is this. For the, the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It's just a bookend on a beautiful psalm. A reminder that God is good. That He is love. And His love for us endures forever. Not just to us, but for all generations. It reminds us to keep a history with God. And one of the ways we keep a history with God is by cultivating the power of praise and thanksgiving and worship in our lives on a daily basis. That as we see God's goodness, that we stop and we pause and we offer the offering of thanksgiving. And we keep that. One of the greatest things in my life is hearing the story of what God did in my parents' life. I've shared it. I'm not going to share it again. To see the faithfulness. 
And there's times in my life I go back and I say, God, you rescued my family. You rescued my mom and dad. There was no history of you in my family line. Before this, before you reached in, before you took hold, my mama's dad, my grandpa, was not, he, he was not a kind man. My daddy's parents, they were German immigrants, and they, my, all he taught my dad what to do was play poker. They didn't go to church. I didn't know nothing about God, but God rescued my mom and dad and pulled them out. And he started that, and I see that. And when I read this, it reminds me that, God, you are faithful for a next generation. Even though my mom and dad are in heaven, I say, hey, mom and dad, look, look what God has done. Not look what Andy and Kim have done and their children, but look what God has done. There's a whole other five that are coming down. Will you believe it? Your, your grandchildren are serving the Lord, and before long, your great-grandchildren are going to be serving the Lord, and your great-great-grandchildren, come on, right? Because there is a faithfulness to God, and he reminds us of that. And he says, listen, no matter how far off you get, when you come into my presence, I remind you of this, that I am he who draws you near, and I am he who is faithful, and I am he whose love endures forever. I am he who is faithful for generation after generation. But one last little nugget. I've said that already. We're at, you're like, you're out of chicken nuggets, man. This, is just, this was just a four-pack, bro. You're working on a 20. <laughs> uh, you're all right. <clears throat> Let's get hungry. Is that one of the things, parents grandparents, that we pass down to the next generation. Oh, I wish I had time to talk about this. It's not your Bible stories. Now, see, a Bible story alone is just another story. It's no different than a book they'll read in school or maybe they'll watch. It's just a story. Oh, but when you pass down... <laughs> Thanksgiving and the worship and the praise connected to that, you're passing down something. You're passing down something that's transferable. You're passing down that. See, because I, I remember my mom worshiping the Lord. See, the Lord reminded me of this at uh, Ronnie and Charlotte's uh, 50th wedding renewal. Because I saw, we sang some praise songs, didn't we, Charlotte? We did. I love it. But then your granddaughter, Haley, right? I saw Charlotte just worshiping the Lord as we were just out of the overflow of our hearts just singing worship. And I looked at her, and it was like the Lord just directed my eyes over to her granddaughter, Haley. And I saw Haley with her eyes closed just worshiping the Lord just like Charlotte. And I said, Lord, look, look at your faithfulness. Look at your faithfulness. See, when we cultivate an attitude, when we cultivate this in our life, it is passed down. It is passed down. Amen? Amen, 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 amen. All right, let's pray. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something first. I'm going to have the ushers come. And uh, two things with this. If you don't see a tithe envelope, offering envelope in the seat back in front of you, just lift your hand if you need one. 
If you're a guest joining us today, we, we don't want you to put anything in it, but if you feel comfortable to just fill out some information about yourself, we'd like to get to know you. We won't harass you and bug you, but thank you for being here. And, uh, but I want to say this, that this is who we are, Freedom Christian Fellowship. This is part of who we are. That we've been called to this place of displaying the greatness of God through praise, through our, the overflow and the offering of our thanksgiving and our worship. This is who we are. I'm saying this to you, that this is who you are. This is who you are. And our focus and our heart should be this, that to say, God, look, as, as we desire to see this more and more within our Sunday morning service, as we offer this up continually before you, God, let it also be that way in our homes. Let us have a discipline of coming in and every day offering up the offering of thanksgiving to you and to praise your name. And listen, if you need a starting place, just read Psalm 100. And maybe, listen, as you read Psalm 100, there might be a little melody that, that comes into your heart. And you begin to sing Psalm 100. And then, look, nobody's around. Just lift your hands and sing Psalm 100. Because God's going to do something in your heart. He's going to begin to create an attitude of worship. And He's going to remind you of those things that He said He is to you. And as the overflow of your heart begins to happen, maybe you're on your way to work and you're in your truck or your car and you just do that. It doesn't matter what you look like. Nobody to your left or right is going to see you again. Just let it rip and let it go. And as you cultivate that, you're going to be reminded that the God of heaven and earth desires to meet with you. And that all is going to overtake you. And you're going to understand how prized of a possession you are to Him and how beautiful you are to Him and how much He desires to go before you, to draw Him close to Himself and to fight your battles, to reward you in His love and in His faithfulness, to say, yeah, you might not see it yet, but it's coming. I'm faithful. I'm the one who's promised. It's not in your head. I'm the one who's promised, and I'm going to do it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for today. God, You are good. You are good, and you are the reason that we are here. You are the reason we celebrate. We love you. Lord, I just pray this, God, that you would overwhelm every person here with the, with the truth of your blessing, that you are the God who pursues us. You are the God who is faithful, whose love endures for generation after generation. Father, if there's anybody here that today is making a decision to say, I need to know this love in Jesus Christ, we join with them. And we say that, Jesus, it's only by your sacrifice at the cross that we know peace and that we know salvation and we know life. And so we say, Jesus, receive our lives. Take away our sin. We receive you as Lord and Savior. Maybe that legacy begins today in some people. God, maybe it's begun many generations ago, and you're just reminding us of your faithfulness and your goodness. And for that, we rejoice. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and pass. Ah, oh, he's so good. He's so good. I tell you, 
He is worthy of our highest praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. After the plate is passed, why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm going to invite some of the ministry team to come up. This morning, if you're saying, look, Pastor, I, I want to join with somebody in prayer. And I want to have, I want to have a couple of things going on this morning as we, as we minister, okay? Is that some of you say, look, Pastor, there's some things that I feel burdened with. And it's okay to come into the house burdened. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to feel uh, like you, you have to come in perfect. You don't. And so if you need prayer for that, come on. That's fine. In just a second, when I, when I, after I bless you, you can go. But then I also just want to pray for those of you that say, look, I'm, I just want to go a little deeper. I want to go a little deeper. I have, I have my foot in the, the water, and I want to go a little deeper. I want to go up to my knees. Some of you are like, okay, I want to go up to my waist. Some of you are like, I want to tread water. Right? I want to, I want to, I'm going to go off the high dive. Right? You're just crazy. All right, don't do that. No, I'm just kidding. And if that's you, just uh, you, you can head down this. Just come. Just when you come up, just let us know. All right, <laughs> and we'll do it. God is good. He is good. He is good. So, Father, I just bless these people in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. Jesus, with your great grace and your grace, great mercy upon every heart. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer, come on. Come on. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday and next Sunday.